Hi there, and welcome to the Fringe Fertility Podcast. I have a great episode for you today. In the context of fertility, one of the best ways, I believe, to settle the overwhelm that comes with navigating fertility and fertility treatment is to begin a mindfulness practice. And mindfulness meditation is a wonderful place to begin. Mindfulness and meditation is something that I expose my students to and my participants to that are in my programs. And actually right now I've got a 40 day to fertile freedom group and 50% of them chose meditation as their daily practice for 40 days. So if you're interested about that program, there's a link in the show notes at the bottom. And in this episode, I talk with my guest, Beck Conant, who is a friend and colleague and mentor. I've taken trainings with her over the years. She is going to break down all the noise that is surrounding meditation and mindfulness for you and make it really accessible and show beginners how they can cross the threshold into starting a meditation practice. And of course, we talk about why this is so beneficial for the fertility journey as well. Beck Conant is the founder and director of Own Births, an online yoga program designed specifically for expecting and new parents. Beck is a certified 500-hour prenatal yoga teacher and meditation teacher and has been practicing meditation for 30-something years, I believe she said, and she's been teaching yoga and all her other wonderful things that she teaches for over 25 years. She is also a certified pelvic floor yoga teacher, and she lives in her hometown of Boston with her husband and six-year-old son. She also has a book. So if you want to check that out, it's called The Own Births Approach, published in 2023. And this um, gives a beautiful framework um, for using yoga and mindfulness uh, to prepare fully for birth and the postpartum experience. So all of her links are in the show notes. So definitely check those out. And don't forget to leave us some stars or hit the subscribe button. It really shows your support, but also will appease the algorithm gods so that this show will be suggested to other people who are listening to other fertility podcasts. So thank you for your support. And thank you for listening. And let's get started. This is Fringe Fertility, a podcast where we embrace and talk about all the weird and wild parts of the fertility world. I'm Carrie Hines, your host and fellow IVF warrior. My journey through fertility treatment led me to open a virtual yoga studio, Fertile Body Yoga, dedicated to those on their fertility journey who are looking for more. More mental, emotional support, more physical nourishment, and more soulful conversations. In this podcast, I will dive into the holistic, energetic, and alternative paths to increased fertility. I'll have guests with relatable stories. There will be tears, there will be laughs, and there will be honest and open conversations about fertility. Let's uncover and explore the new, old, and fringe fertility practices together. All right. Hello, listeners. I have today with me Beck Conant. Um, I have known Beck for about eight years now, and uh, we first met in Boston when I took one of her teacher trainings for prenatal yoga. And I really wanted to bring her on today to talk about mindfulness and meditation, because this is a really important uh, piece, I think, to the puzzle 
when we are trying to conceive, but also moving through all the parts from conception to pregnancy, to birthing, to postnatal and beyond parenting. So thank you, Beck, so much for being here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. It is it is such a delight and a joy to to be here and to talk about this this topic with you. It's, yeah, it's one, of my, I, one of my favorites. It is. And I remember <laughs> during our teacher training, I think you were just finishing your like 10 year long meditation training. I think something like that. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe not that long. Uh, but I know that we did quite a bit of meditation and um, conversation and reflection on it afterwards which I found very helpful. I thought maybe it's fun for listeners to understand my relationship with Mm -hmm. meditation, which has been challenging for me. And it is now more a consistent practice in my life. Do I meditate every single morning? Not necessarily. Neither do I. This is something we should recognize right away that sometimes it is not possible to hit it every single day. And that's okay. And that's okay. And we need to forgive ourselves. But yeah, I had a really hard time, for lack of better words, wrapping my mind around meditation. So I think (laughs) this is what we're going to talk about today for those that are listening that are like, "Mm, meditation, I don't know if that's for me and how will it help my fertility? And is it something I should do? So keep listening. Um, But first, Beck, do you want to tell just like a quick little what you do? And sure. So yeah, I mean, I I run an an online um, yoga program for people who are pregnant or newly postpartum. I teach meditation programs and classes. I run a mom's community. Um, specifically focused around having a meditation practice as a parent and a person. Mm -hmm. Um, And I uh, do all kinds of workshops and trainings, as you said, around the the Boston area. Um, And, you know, recently published a book, all the the things that uh, that one does. Yes. And I know when I, when students of mine from my fertility yoga, when they move on from me and they don't need me anymore. Um, you are the person that I always refer them to. So I um, I always have admired and love the work that you do and offer people and love the, the holistic and mindful way that you do it. So I'm just Thanks. so happy you're here. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm happy to be here. Yes. Okay. So let's, I want to, let's talk about mindfulness and meditation. So yeah. one of the things many of my students come to me with is that they feel overwhelmed with all the things going on in their head about fertility. It becomes an obsession. It's overwhelming. It's anxiety provoking, and it's hard to break the loop, let's say, in their mind of all the things they need to think about or do or wish for or try and should do, shouldn't do, et cetera. And so they ask me like, what's one thing we can do to settle that down and normally my first response is to embrace mindfulness right to be more present in this moment because really in the present moment there isn't always like that much going on right like we can and there's things happening but um but in the realm of fertility there's so many extremes that sometimes we get stuck in them but like in the present it's fairly balanced and regulated 
And um, one of the best ways, as we were talking about to embrace mindfulness, is through meditation. So do you want to sort of talk about the connection? Yeah. Yeah. And the, and I think I want to, I'm going to just back up a quick second because what you said at the beginning about your original um, experience with meditation and how it is, it was a bit of a struggle to actually get into a regular meditation practice. And I think meditation, when someone, when you're dealing with anxiety and someone says, start meditation, it can mm-hmm. sound a little overwhelming in and of itself. This idea of, oh, I need to take a meditation practice. And it really, it's much simpler than I think we've given it credit for. We, we have these images of meditation that involves like monks' robes and sitting in crazy, very lotus. demanding hip opening positions. <laughs> yeah, lotus. Um, mm-hmm. And... And all of that makes us seem like something very, very far away and very sort of esoteric that is beyond a, an everyday person's abilities to achieve. Right. And the fact of the matter is meditation is incredibly mundane and incredibly basic to our natural mm-hmm. state and way of being. And when we recognize that it actually is something that is much simpler than maybe we've made it into being then it makes it more accessible. It makes it something that feels no more different than saying, oh, maybe I'll have a salad today instead of a whole pile of chocolate cake. Right. (laughs) From that, in an an attempt to eat slightly more healthy. It's not that you have to go vegan. Oh, no, I was just thinking like this idea that we have of meditation. Like I always used to think like, okay, like, Shiva sitting on the mountain and like in the, <laughs> the the snow and the wind dreadlocks and sitting there meditating for five hours. So I think we really mm-hmm. have like a, um, yeah, like there's like a religious connection to it. There is a, um, in a way, just like this unattainable, like you need to be an ascetic to be able to get into the meditation fully. And so why bother? where it can be very much so useful and beneficial for householders, right? Which is what we all are. We're all householders. So if we're talking yoga, right? Like sort of a distinction there that like you're a householder, you have responsibilities. You you don't have the freedom to sit on a mountain for five hours to meditate all day because you are a person with a life that has things happening. So being able to kind of break it down a little bit to to be like, yeah, no, it's okay if I only sit for 10 minutes or five minutes or 10 seconds, right? Yeah, and that's and that's the thing that when I'm teaching meditation practice, we often will try to, to bring this down into daily activities because this is not something that needs to be away on a mountain. Um, it's not something that we have to, the world does not have to be perfect for us to meditate. And you mentioned the idea of coming back to the present moment, that in the present moment, things things are really relatively okay. And I'm sure there are some listeners out there going, uh, my life is not okay right now. Everything is kind of a mess. You mm. mentioned that your students with fertility feeling very overwhelmed and saying, I don't want to come back to this moment that feels really crappy. Um, mm-hmm. But if we really were to dive into the exact 
right now feeling, not our thoughts about this moment, but the actual raw feeling that we're having in our physical bodies at the moment that we're, that we're experiencing it, that is usually pretty okay. And yes. for most of us, most people, if you have time to listen to a podcast, you're probably not in a war zone. If you're in a war zone, you're not, okay, we're not really meditating in a war zone. In a war zone, you're just there because you have to deal with what you're dealing with in the moment that you're dealing with it. But those of us that have that householder time frame to say, I, I, have, I have responsibilities, I have things to do, but I also, at this moment, I do have a roof over my head. I, I, I do have food to eat. I do have enough heat in my house or at least a jacket to put on that I am not freezing. Mm -hmm. In that moment, okay, I can feel these sensations. I can work with this experience that mm -hmm. I'm having. And, and in a lot of ways, that's where meditation and mindfulness start to kind of shake hands with each other because the the mindfulness is just very simply bringing your mental attention to what is actually going on what you're actually feeling right now yeah okay. and, and not and, you're not your thoughts like you are not your thoughts exactly thoughts running around your head is not your necessarily present moment your present moment is yeah the tree in front of you the steering wheel in your hand the you know the sound that you hear in the music or the birds or the wind on your skin right like, Really the smell of the bread baking, the, the smell of whatever is yeah. coming up. Yeah. Um, and what we'll often say when working with mindfulness is that you have the experience, the, the raw immediate experience of the sensory sensations. And then there's kind of one layer on top of that of I like it, I don't like it, or I don't really care about this one way or the other. Right. And then that will spiral into further thoughts, which then have responses, which then, and now we're into the future or the past, or as we would refer, refer to it in meditation, anxiety or depression. If we're up in the future, that's generally more anxious. If we're ruminating and wallowing in the past, that's generally a more depression. Mm -hmm. And present moment is just here, right yeah. now as things are right now, doesn't mean that you love it. No. <laughs> it doesn't mean no. that you come to the present moment and you smell the flower and all your worries and cares disappear. That's, and you sort of mentioned it in, in the beginning, this idea of you have to quiet your mind or you right. have to sort of release that, that it will get rid of all negativity that we have ever had if uh, I'll just say, if that's true, I've been meditating for 30 plus years now, and I have yet to permanently extinguish dif difficulty from from my life. Yeah, well, but that is life, right? That's like, life. That, I mean, that, that's, person I mean, that hasn't been through despair or loss or grief or so on. Yeah. So, okay. I want to talk a little bit about, we'll just go through this quickly. Because there hasn't been too many studies specifically on fertility and, and meditation or necessarily mindfulness, but they get thrown around a lot in the fertility world. And so one of the things 
that they have studied though, and we sort of extrapolate the basics about meditation that has been studied and we can kind of apply that to fertility because we know that certain um, environments that we can create for our fertility are more conducive to heightened success for fertility treatment and so on. One of them is to have decreased psychological distress, anxiety, and depression, which is one of the benefits of, I was going to say yoga, it is, but also but that's meditation. Too, <laughs> and but then, meditation. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, so that's more of sort of the, the physiological side of it, right? Like hormones. Right. And, if, and, if, and if we're to look at the actual, what are the studies showing? How is meditation doing that? Mm-hmm. What it's doing is it's been shown that cons- doing consistent practice and, and the trick with meditation is it's not like taking a pill. This isn't something that one time, one and done and you're out and there you go, happy, you know, happy day and, and, and you're off. It, it's, this is much more like taking your mind to the gym. And when you go to the gym, you don't expect that you're going to lift a 50 pound weight on your first time or even your 50th time. But gradually, the more you do it, the stronger you get, the more you're able to come back. And so what, what it shows is that in our brain, the amygdala, the reactive part of our mind that, that's in charge of anxiety and upregulation and, and the real kind of primal um, mammalian responses that we have, that gets, da- that gets decreased. Mm-hmm. when we practice consistent meditation. And what gets increased is the prefrontal cortex, the hypothalamus, where, where we get better emotion regulation. We get better resilience around dealing with challenging challenging situations. So we don't get somewhat hijacked by our amygdala, our hindbrain, because we've gotten to be, through meditation, we've gotten to be more familiar with our own mental patterns. And in fact, in Tibetan circles, when they talk about meditation, the word they use is actually a Tibetan word um, spelled G-O-M called gom. Mm -hmm. And gom, it actually doesn't translate as meditation. It translates as familiarization, getting to know something in the spirit of making friends with this, this thing. And the idea is, well, what are we making friends with? Well, we're making friends with all of us, all every piece of who we are. And that includes our anxious thought patterns. That includes our current, possibly fertility situation. It it includes every piece, the parts that we think I can't be friends with that, that that part I have to get, get, get rid of. Um, you don't have to, we don't throw anything out. We have it all come and then you sit with it and, and you, you, you get to know it a little bit better yeah. and you get to be friendly with it and nicer to it. All right. What's the Tara Brach? What's her yes. um, radical self-acceptance, radical self-acceptance, but this idea of like inviting in for tea, right? Like yeah. sit down and have tea with your anxiety and you'll feel your anxiety mm-hmm. diminish. It's like, if we ignore it, it has a hold on us. If we invite it in, well, you know, it was like, okay, monster, let's sit down. Let's have some tea together. Let's talk it through. 
and things will sort of start to, you know, the anxiety will diminish because you'll see it's not this big monster that it was when before you let it in the door. Um, and it's not saying, by the way, that if you invite the monster in for tea, you're not asking the monster to come be your roommate all the time. It's, <laughs> it's you're, you're, you're inviting it in for just a cup of tea, not a seven course meal. Yeah. Necessarily. Because <laughs> I think, quit this. It's a hard quit. stop. <laughs> yeah. Gotta, I, I, I've got a meeting at this time. I got to stop here. But yeah. I think that's important for people to recognize that when we start to encounter these strong emotions and these bigger feelings, that it's not that you need to go dive headlong into the pool and hang around with it. It 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 may just be that you dip your toe in, and and you you're willing to at least get close enough to it that you can see it. And you can feel it and you can get a little more familiar with it. And then gradually, maybe, you know, maybe then you're, you're willing to, to, to sit next to the pool with, with, with a nice, you know, mocktail sitting there. <laughs> yeah. Having that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, oh gosh, so many, yes. Good things. Good things. <laughs> Thank you for verbalizing all the things that go through my head and I can't put eloquent words to it. So, Let's okay. So other things that um you know we this kind of touch on self awareness, right? This idea of being able to understand and be like, oh, I'm feeling anxious. So why am I, you know, like inviting things in and sitting with it, working through it? Um, one of the other things that pops up um is hormone balancing for mm-hmm. um while doing meditation. So one study I found said it increased DHEA, which probably most of my listeners are familiar with as one of the the reproductive hormones the sex hormones that um, we like to have in balance for a healthy reproductive system and um, also an increase in oxytocin which is our intimacy and bonding hormone right um so with those increases there's also the sense of like stronger relationships with people right mm-hmm. like have this we were talking about this before we went on the air but um right. like how like how, people are like well how can meditation create stronger relationships with your partner <laughs> right seems weird to me but yeah with this increase in oxytocin this desire to just to bond right um can bring the relationship closer together um, it's, it's sort of a wonderful chicken and egg kind of scenario with with those that there's they've been shown they're showing that meditation has positive impacts on these hormonal cycles and, and levels of hormones in people's bodies. And it's also that when you're familiar with your own patterns and you're able to notice that, oh, I'm really cranky right now. I'm I'm just in a real stressed out space and I'm sniping at people. Just the acknowledgement and the recognition that, oh, I'm cranky mm-hmm. is it creates just this tiny little bit of space between you and the cranky in that some way. And it lets it gives you a chance to drop the crankiness and and to maybe if you were kind of annoying to somebody to take a moment and actually repair 
that because we actually suddenly saw, oh, I did that and I didn't mean to do that. I used to call this mindfulness after the fact. You realize it about five minutes after yeah. you've said the thing you shouldn't have said, but then it's five, but that's, but that's only five minutes. And so you start seeing it sooner than we would have seen it otherwise. And we're more willing, we can, we can feel that feeling of like embarrassment or a little bit of that little micro bit of shame that, oh, mm. I said the thing I didn't mean to say. Oh, that probably ticked that person off. Yeah, that's probably not going to be good for sexy time later tonight because <laughs> now I've pissed off my partner and now I feel really, oh, but wait, I can feel this and I don't have to drown in it. I can go and say to this person who I just mouthed off to, hey, that was me. I feel really bad about that. Mm -hmm. And I bet that didn't feel good to you either. And can we sit on this couch of confusion and like be with each other for a little while? And we know that being with someone also increases your oxytocin level. So it's this kind of wonderful, positive feedback loop of I'm conscious of my own feelings. I'm willing to own them. I can open up and be vulnerable to this other person, which takes a certain amount of bravery and takes a certain amount of confidence that we ourselves are fundamentally good in that. And then that then sets up the conditions for being able to get the oxytocin. So it's not, again, like it's not the pill. It's not the one-to-one -one yeah. correlation that you meditate you come off the cushion and you have more oxytocin. I wish that were true. Not the <laughs> orgasms coming off the meditation cushion. Everybody would be meditating. <laughs> That's sure. Um, especially men. Especially, oh, there'd be a lot more. There are a lot of men meditating already, but <laughs> there would be a lot more yeah. um, from that. Yeah. Um, well, I just liked how, how you put it, like the space. That's always when I, when I meditate, I feel like there's more spaciousness around like between like who I truly am, like my truer essence, like my this universal energy sort of, and then space between that and then what's happening in my life and my mind, right? So it's like this, this beautiful sort of expansion between those. And then when I, cause I always meditate in the morning because for me, it is the best time because I'm still a little you know, sleepy. I'm still sort of in that like <laughs> deep meditative state of deep sleep. And I can just sit down. Things are quiet. Nothing's happened yet to, to activate me in any way. And I can just sit quietly here. And that when I do that in the morning, I know the days I meditate in the morning versus the days I don't. And the profound effect it has on the rest of my day. Like when mm -hmm. I do, I have so much more understanding for other people right compassion for for folks I have I'm calmer I don't tend to be so reactive I don't get stressed out as much and you know it does seem like a little bit of a magic pill in a way <laughs> um, but uh, yeah it's just this feeling of space that's what I always think about when I meditate it's like I'm, I'm spacey afterwards spaciousness right. surrounding me yeah but at the same time, not spaced out. 
We're not. No, no, we're, not we're at all. Not, we're not dissociating. We're not separating from the experiences. It's, again, you're familiarizing. You're getting to know them a little bit better with enough space that they're not, like, totally smothering you at yes. the same time. Yes, space between yeah. space between thoughts, space between yes. me and my thoughts. Yeah, the big me, the little me, <laughs> all the things. Big mind, the smaller yeah. mind. Yeah. Um, I love um, how you said it. It's you're just a little bit more sleepy and it's a little quieter in the morning. And mm -hmm. so then that's that and that's your time to mm -hmm. meditate. And and for I know for a lot of people, that's exactly when they want to do it, because it is easier when it is quiet. It It's sort of a, a little less challenging, but I will I'm just going to admit here. I can't meditate in the morning. I am not a morning person. I am not somebody who really, if I have to choose between 20 minutes of meditation or 20 minutes of sleep, I'm getting the sleep. I'm taking the sleep every single time. There is no way I get up early to meditate. So for me, it's after the initial morning routine. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. in my case, it, it's, you know, after we've done breakfast and morning stuff and i have a son and it's after we've dropped him off to school when i come back and i hit my desk before i open the email before i start thinking up about what's the programming going to be today that's the moment that i say okay wait and it's not always 20 minutes but to <laughs> that's where i say okay wait turn away from the screen sit and set my timer and then I and then I can just come back and be with what's coming up and notice it and come back and it's sort of like a check-in on my own my own nervous system mm -hmm. and my own sort of emotional state before I go diving into people are going to need things of me people are going to require things of me yeah yeah and that I often say to students too if they they're asked about meditation like when should i do it and that's always like when you have the yeah. right time like when you feel like there's a pause in your day like for me my pause is in the morning before everybody wakes up but i wake up at 5 30 which yeah. for some people will never happen right but my kids it's not happening up, for me <laughs> my kids get up at six my husband gets up at four like it's an early house we're all in bed by 8 30 right so like and then as soon as, you know, everybody's gone to work or school, it's like, I'm off to the races and, you know, some probably, maybe it would be a good idea for me to <laughs> meditate before I go to the races, but, um, okay. So this kind of brings us good segue into some of the myths that surround meditation and so many. So many myths and we've touched on a few of them already, but maybe we'll just go through them sort of quickly here just to like boom, boom, boom. And then we'll go into how we can, if you're a beginner meditator or just started, or even if you've been meditating forever, like, you know, how to really incorporate it um, into your life, how to begin, how to, how to set it up so that yeah. you can feel it's a, it's a useful thing to do in your life. Right. Um, sure. Okay. So the first myth is that meditation needs to be practiced in silence, right? <laughs> yes, oh, this lovely idea. And okay, it is easier 
if we can have a quiet space to do it and that, that that does make it easier because we've decreased the number of distractions mm-hmm. that we have and our minds our minds are just distracted little hamsters yes. in all kinds of places mm-hmm. with that but that doesn't mean that you have to find a perfectly quiet space to meditate in um, honestly, if you're looking to find the perfect quiet space, let me know when you find it because I haven't found it. And I've been at meditation retreat centers where yeah. things are, are just loud. <laughs> yeah. The one thing we do that I would encourage folks who are interested in doing a meditation practice, though, is you do want to decrease their distractions, meaning probably not the best time to play music. Mm-hmm. If you're listening to music, you're listening to music, go ahead and listen to the music, but know that that is what you are actually doing rather Mm -hmm. than when you're meditating, we wanna actually give our mind the chance to be with what's coming up. And if we're constantly, if we're putting a deliberate distraction in place, then you're kind of making it harder on your mind. Sort of like if you were trying Mm -hmm. to have a really deep conversation with someone, but they had a movie on in the background. It's yeah, it's hard to really quite going to have their full attention and you're probably going to have trouble being fully present with them, especially if you like the movie. Right. I love that song. No, no, I meditated for 10 minutes, but so, but how about if you're, okay, we're going to talk about that, but here, so say it's, you've never meditated before. It's scary to sit in silence and you want to start using with like ambient no like um no lyrics or anything like that but just like an ambient sort of dull something in the background just to kind of anchor you more to the present moment which can certainly work if you're noticing your nervous system is seriously jacked up and Mm -hmm. you're wanting to sort of start in a quieter space or starting in in a quieter way for you so it's something to kind of bridge and bring your mind down to that mm-hmm. um, i almost might suggest then go ahead and listen to five minutes of, of ambient music right and then, turn but, then try, but then try try turning it off for 30 seconds yeah and and sit with that again we're not taking the huge monster and inviting them to move in where it's just could you could you open the window and look at the monster and say, okay, I'm gonna sit for thir- 30 seconds, quiet, mm-hmm. and watch what comes up. Yeah. And, what about then, guided meditation? Guided meditations can be a really good practice to use as a way to keep your mind kind of here. And the difference is guided meditation, you've got instructions aimed at bringing you back. It's mm-hmm. not distraction. It's there is something to actually say, following this thought, staying with this thought, staying in a, in a nice, pleasant mm-hmm. mental space around that. Um, the addition that I always add when we're using, especially if it's a guided meditation that sort of takes you to a nice, happy place, which is wonderful. Go, mm-hmm. go to a nice, happy place. But also notice how much your mind has trouble staying there how much when the mind starts to go off into 
back to the old habit and we mm -hmm. can say that okay yes i'm on this wonderful pond and i'm imagining the birds and the trees and all of this stuff and and you've said this to me before and, and other times when we weren't recording this is such a lovely scene wouldn't this be better with a baby mm -hmm. and, yeah. and there's it's like that's the thought moment of oh there's my mind, my pattern going off there. Hey, come here, feeling that goes along with that thought. Come, come sit here. That that loneliness, that ache, that serious desire. Mm. Just, just just come sit here, and you enjoy this this lovely pond vista that I'm I'm having as well. Yeah, and From I what that. did you so, call that? Um, thief uh, thought. Thief thief thought. I love that. It steals your joy. It steals the moment that we're in because it it's it it pulls you right back into the suffering side mm -hmm. of things. Mm -hmm. And it's not we don't what guided meditation is not going to erase the challenge and the pain that we are that we're feeling, but it gives us a moment to notice other things as well. Yeah. With it. Yeah. Okay, here is just that this wasn't Ooh. one of the myths. Well, maybe it is. Like you have to meditate with your eyes closed. Oh God, yeah. That that's and then you know the first meditation practice that I gave you all in in teacher training was eyes open, and yeah. I think I think half of the room's heads exploded with the idea. <laughs> no, of, no, I don't. I can't meditate. I have to have my eyes closed. I need my eyes closed. Oh, the protests that came up were hilarious. Um, yeah from that and it's no you do not have to meditate with your eyes closed the practice that i teach it actually has the eyes open deliberately because we want to engage ultimately we we're, we're meditating we're not meditating to become the preeminent visualizers or the preeminent followers of our breathing we're meditating to be more present in the lives we're in and mm -hmm. if you have to close your eyes to do that well then how are you going to drive a car how, yeah. how how are you going to walk down the road how are you going to actually interact with your partner because that this is well it helps to see at that point and sight is just another one of the sense perceptions we were saying you know bring your focus to the smell really taste that food really feel your body well really see yeah what's right in front of you mm -hmm. really look at it i was um recently i was listening to a podcast huberman lab <laughs> right as we do sometimes listen like to his 10-hour podcasts um but he was he did one recently on meditation but this idea of that some of like if we're a person that feel like feel like this is me so i feel everything in my body I can feel like a gas bubble I can feel my heart beating I can feel my breath increasing like like my interoception is uh -huh. which to me sometimes so when I close my eyes and I focus too much on my body it can create more anxieties right so having external focus uh -huh. mindful external focus like what do I hear? You know, like just having not 
not always being like, feel the breath or feel your heartbeat or feel it. Cause that like for so many people is so stressful. Right. So when I was listening to that podcast, I'm like, yes, yes. Thank you for bringing that up because for so many, it is a hard, like if you're really sensitive and you can feel all the things inside your body, like your biomechanics happening, right? Like you, you, you just went pee and like five minutes later, you're like, well, I think I'm going to have to pee in two hours. Like I could feel like my bladder filling, right? <laughs> or like, it's, it's just really interesting. So yeah. So sometimes I practice just gazing outwards and luckily I have a really beautiful view to look out at my window, you do. whatever, like just right now it's like snowing and the trees are full and it's just really pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes I, I don't close my eyes. I go outwards. That's also a good point to raise because when I'm working with students wanting to start a meditation practice who have either, I mean, if we want to go big, a history of trauma or someone has um, just a real feeling of not being happy in their body, not really Mm -hmm. trusting their body, not really feeling like they like their body, closing their eyes and saying, you know, go and feel your hips on the floor and feel your, there's too many patterns entwined around that right now mm-hmm. for us to really, for that to be something where you can just touch it and walk away. It, it It's a feeling of you get overwhelmed too fast with yes, that. And-, and so, and having the eyes open lets you stay in an awareness of the space around you almost it's almost a your nervous system can literally see the exits you can see the door you know where it you can leave if you need to from that and that's that's also a part of getting making friends with where you are is to say if you can't physically be in your body then don't force yourself to go there mm-hmm. to meditate put, or, or to be mindful. Be mindful of the fact that it's hard to be mindful in your body. And that is mindfulness in and of itself right there. And this, I feel like for those of my friends listening who are in the two-week wait, oh, right? And interpreting every tiny little twinge or you know and normally if like probably before fertility journeys started into like trying to conceive and build families you never noticed you never noticed if your uterus just went every now and again or whatever ligaments are attached to it tightening and and then when we have the two week wait and we're we're really we're just we're so tuned in to the body and what like what this little bubble of you know usually it's just gas or something going through right like whoa what was that oh implantation maybe maybe not you know and then like the anxiety spiral starts maybe it was maybe it was or oh no it probably wasn't blah, blah, blah. and the brain just spins out of control so yeah I can see like this this external focus and the two week wait would be like really grounding i think yeah or at least makes it safer safer yeah yeah definitely okay so let's go down more 
of the list. I think we've covered some of this already. Um, you must be sitting to meditate. Nope. Okay. What and I'll add, the, I'll, I'll, I'll add the corollary. You must be sitting on the floor to meditate because okay. everyone's like, I, I, I don't have a meditation cushion. My hips are stiff and I can't sit on the ground to which I say, great, go sit in a chair. Okay. You Would you sit. say it's like head over heart? Is that what we're aiming for? Well, I would say that we want to be, if we're going to be meditating, um, we want to be meditating in a position that has a sense of dignity to it. Mm -hmm. So that could be lying down. You can meditate lying down. Absolutely fine to meditate lying down. Maybe not lying down flopped on your bed with no awareness of where you placed your body so that things are like uncomfortable. That might not be the best position to put yourself in. But right. there are there are walking meditation forms. Mm -hmm. You don't not I'll, we'll just dispel that secondary myth there. You don't have to be still to meditate. Yes. Yeah, that um, was one of them. But yeah, you don't yeah, have to be you don't still. Have to be you, still. Have... you can be moving. You can be walking. You can be doing yoga. You could be washing the dishes and be meditating at the same time. Uh, there right. are literally statues of supposedly the next incarnation of Buddha, if you believe in that sort of thing. And you don't need to be Buddhists to follow this, but there are pictures of Buddha, the next next Buddha that's going to come sitting in a Western style chair. Really? Stat statues of it. And as one of my meditation teachers pointed out, he said, that's Buddha. That is an enlightened being mm -hmm. sitting with his feet on the floor, butt on a chair, spine straight up. Absolutely equally spiritual or yes. equally meditative yes. to be sitting on a chair, standing, walking, swaying, or sitting on the floor if that is comfortable for your body. And that could be sitting cross-legged, that could be kneeling, that could be lying down with props supporting you. All yeah. of them work. Because I used to always meditate on the floor and I have a funky left hip, as you probably right. remember. And I just, I can't sit cross-legged for longer than like two or three minutes without like some pain, right? Yep. So then I'd start moving yep. and then I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm moving, I'm not meditating. And then I don't know if you remember this, but our that teacher training we did and we were uh -huh. meditating and I was talking about swallowing. Do you remember that? I do remember that. I that, was that like, you just you became you became like hyper aware of, of the saliva and, and swallowing. Yes. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I'm swallowing. Maybe I'm like the person next to me can hear me swallowing and I'm interrupting their meditation practice. Oh my gosh, my brain exploded about swallowing. And I believe and I, as I recall, my instruction to you at that point was so noticing, thinking. Yes. Let the thought go, come back. Swallow. start over <laughs> swallow start again yeah i remember you saying um, well isn't it just like an automatic reflex like breathing or like you know and I'm like yeah it is i just need to swallow sometimes like okay, sometimes. just swallow <laughs> like okay yeah. i'll swallow i'll swallow <laughs> but every now and again when i meditate and i like yeah i have a clunky swallow like a clunk like uh -huh. a big one um, it reminds me of that moment it's so funny <laughs> the things that stick well, with that's... you right <laughs> Well, and that's the other thing to to note is that 
that you don't have to be sitting, you don't have to be still, you don't have to stay in the same position either. It's, and and I know that I said this to all of you in, in that, in that initial training, if you're sitting cross-legged and you got a wonky left hip and your left hip is starting to hurt and ache, go ahead and move your leg. Yeah. Just, you know, pick your leg up, change your position, but then go back to the meditation part if you're still meditating. Yeah. So it, it's, it, it's differentiating it between we don't take our meditation and then turn it into a fidget fest right movement where we're just always twitching and moving it's you move consciously and then you sit in a different position and then yeah, i remember i remember I, oh god i remember the first times i started when i started meditating and i thought there was someone said that sat next to me and he had like the most perfect textbook meditation posture. I mean, it was, I think they actually had him as the cover of Yoga Journal magazine at some point as right. like as a meditator. Yeah. And it was like, my mind just couldn't get off of this. Like he's doing it. I was the most fidgety, twisty, uncomfortable, everything hurt person. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was the worst. I, I assumed I was the worst meditator ever. Right. Comparing. I constantly comparing. Th- those were my thief thoughts is looking over and saying, I'm not as good as that person over there. And that person is a better meditator than I am because they're not moving, because they're sitting more upright than I am, because they're on the floor and I'm on three blocks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I sit in a chair when yeah. I meditate because I just do it's, I find it more comfortable. I find it. Which is totally fine. Yeah. Totally fine. It's a mind practice. You just need a body to do the mind practice. Yeah. Okay. So here's another one. Um, yeah. Um, meditation is religion. Oh yeah. This one gets this one gets people because it's it's been used by traditions that have a religious quality to them. And right. like Buddhism, which we've mentioned a couple of times, you a first of all, you do not have to be Buddhist to meditate. Just no. full stop on that one. You don't have to believe Buddha at all. Um, the meditation is a technique. It is no more religious than walking is. And there are many religious figures who didn't went on long pilgrimages and walked. And but that doesn't mean that walking is the religious practice practice. Yeah. So if you're sitting down to meditate, you're not signing up to be a Buddhist. You're not signing up to be Hindu. You're not signing up to be any particular religious tradition. And Mm -hmm. it is not it, it is not in any way contrary to whatever someone's personal, spiritual, religious beliefs might be, that this is two separate things. And it's just a matter of how do we use it that that comes in. Okay, next one is, um, and we touched on this a little bit, but meditation, you know, you need an hour 
to meditate every day. Therefore, if you don't have an hour, therefore you shouldn't meditate. So how short, how short can a practice be? One breath. Exactly. Right. I meditate constantly. I take one breath and be like, I need to breathe. And yeah. 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 And it's, and we should say, it's not just, there you go. You're done. It's really feel, really feeling that breath actually experiencing it but it need be no longer than inhale exhale there you go you're done Um, longer sessions allow for longer chances that we see some of the patterns that we're working with sort of the same way you know walking is absolutely fabulous exercise and if you continually are walking, at some point, your body might benefit from picking up the pace a little bit and going for a slight jog. And it, it's not that you have to start out with the jog. You might start you start with the walk. You start with a little walk around the house, and that's, mm-hmm. that's good. If you've never meditated before, it all counts. It's all, there's a concept in meditator circles that they call it the drip, drip, drip concept, that you, every drip, gradually fills up the bucket right it may seem like each one doesn't do anything but little drips little moments where you remember to just come back gradually that becomes a new habit and becomes a new pattern and that's where the other the studies of brain plasticity have started to show that the more we come back the more we begin to retrain our thought patterns and retrain where our brain's focus goes. Mm-hmm. And that then has those then subsequently and then and then and then eventually maybe we get to the quote unquote outcome that we were looking for. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. Well, okay, so then so let I'm gonna um recap here a little bit so if you're new to meditation or you have tried meditation in the past and like we're like no I can't do this or just didn't stick so finding a time that works with your life that is already sort of like a natural pause in the things that you do right is that a good would you say like it could be after dinner or it could be in the morning first thing like me or before you start work like you it could be like that midday slump for some um so there's no necessarily the best time to meditate right like it's just there's there's no one best time i mean supposedly the morning is more quote-unquote auspicious whatever that particularly means um, I think the idea is we wake up in the morning and as you said, we don't have, we're not as triggered, not as many things have happened yet. So we're yeah. not contending with whatever ripples those things created. We're, we're just dealing with whatever we woke up with. But yeah. if you're, I mean, if we're talking about trying to, how do you start a meditation practice? Um, mm-hmm. Really... Yeah, find a time during the day that works for you would be great. But then also don't start thinking that you have to sit for 20 minutes every every time. Right. So it's short and sweet to start. 
short and sweet. This this time that this quote unquote time that works for you. Any time when you could pause. That's mm. it. It really doesn't need to be longer than that to start. Eventually, yes, we'd like to get longer sessions if we can sometimes. Because in some ways we do have the time. We just don't really recognize it's there because we're scrolling on a phone or we're we, we we've gotten we have our own habits of busyness that we have built up yeah that's what i was gonna say i was doing this for a while i fell out of the habit i should probably pick it up again but when i went to go pick up my phone just like we go sitting there i just go to pick up my phone rather than do that i would just like close my eyes and breathe and like not pick up the phone to look at the Instagram, which, you know, activating in so many different ways. Um, but yeah, and it can be, and it doesn't have to be once a day, right? Like these little practices can just pop in here and there. And little just, snacks throughout yeah. the day. Little, little stuff. Little, little Hershey's little, kisses. <laughs> little her and there's a good example of how you can meditate while eating a Hershey's kiss. Yeah, we did that in the training. Yeah bringing your full attention to one thing that you are doing and do it fully in that moment mm -hmm. and then move on. It's, you know, sometimes, sometimes the, the effects of the meditation kind of linger. The, the sun seems brighter, the sky seems bluer, all of that mm -hmm. lovely statements that people make, but it's, it's really that you recognize I'm doing this thing now and now i am not doing that thing anymore <laughs> yeah well it's this um the default mode network i don't i was reading a bunch of and i that's just a fancy word for saying like you know the default mode network network is like where your mind goes it's that internal dialogue it's the the the, the playbook that's constantly going around in your head your go-to thoughts right like the ones that you just mm -hmm. something bad happens it goes straight there and everything and da, 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 and it just keeps ruminating so meditation can sort of halt this default mode network and sort of get you out of the loop right which I think, and it can be short and sweet like it can just be like i said like a breath like you said just a few breaths while you're washing the dishes you can you know, when you're out for a walk and, you know, the physical movement is also really good for that too. Right. Um, but yes, yeah. the idea of, of the, the practice itself is the interrupt yes. that yes. stops that default mode. And then that gives you that little moment of space, space to be able to look at it and go, do I always have this thought yeah. pattern about this particular thing, or if we're really being real about this, it's probably, do I always do that thing that I just did about that thing when that comes up? Is that, it, we, we, we usually initially start to see it as mindfulness after the fact. And right. gradually that delay between the event and our recognition of it get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until someday we recognize it at the moment it's actually happening. Right. And that day we get to change it. Right.
Okay. Holy moly. Okay. So <laughs> that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> a lot of things. We can talk about. for hours on I this. Know, this I stuff know. goes forever. It does. But um, yeah. So if you're listening and you want to start a meditation practice, those are some amazing tips. So yeah. Take it easy on yourself. Find the time, little bits of time. You don't need to be seated in lotus. You don't need to be on a mountain in a in a monk robe, right? It, it's. I don't recommend the monk's robes. They're just not comfortable. They're not comfortable. They're a little, a little breezy. Yeah. Um, okay. And yeah. So, okay. I think any. Do you have any final thoughts or words or anything you want to say about mindfulness or meditation and fertility if you want to slip that in well I, I i will let you be the one to speak to fertility but i will just say that from a perspective of cultivating a mindfulness practice and developing this this sense of familiarity and, and getting to know ourselves this starts it's something that begins to bleed over into the rest of our lives when we're doing it in a consistent way. And it starts to become this sort of a shift in almost your general MO, where mm. you start noticing you didn't even consciously take a breath, but you start seeing how your internal world is beginning to impact the external world around you and the one tie-in with you mentioned the the folks working with fertility getting so overwhelmed and so just flooded by it is this gives you the ability it's not going to get rid of the challenge but it lets the challenge be interspersed with those moments of beauty and joy it you're allowed it's almost like you give yourself permission to be happy for a moment with you know somebody's got a new kitten and mm. you get to really you get to really enjoy the softness of the new kitten yeah and and the 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 cuteness of the kitten and we notice that there are feelings that are not related to the kitten that are kind of floating around in in the experience, but we can take our focus and just say, I'm 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 gonna focus on this one thing, this Hershey's mm -hmm. kiss, this, you know, this strawberry is the Buddhist parable that's often brought up. But this idea of mm -hmm. we we are always going to have difficult challenges and this one that we feel we are contending with right now there's this we may think that if we get rid of this challenge then everything will be perfect mm -hmm. and we sort of know that that's not actually true that things will other things will come up and so it's how do we relate to what is happening with around us right now that right. is that, that that is the the fruition part of mm -hmm. this practice and and it's a gradual shift so we gradually start relating more and running away less and over time we get more stamina we get more stability mentally 
and we get more clarity. We get that ability to kind of cut through the the what did you call it? The default mental state or the the, the, the default, default mode network. I think it's there. Called. We go. And very technical default, term. Default. Very technical term. Like, what's your default yes. mode? Like me, it's worry. I'm always worrying, and that's where my brain goes. Usually, yeah. when I start meditating, I worry about things and people. Yeah. Um, I think mine is mine is an anxiety as as well, which is something as humans we're hardwired for anxiety. We should recognize that. that yes, we are. If if we were in the wild, you would want to be anxious about whether that crack that crackle of sticks was a bear. Mm -hmm. That that would make sense. But we also right now we're getting worried about things that we don't need to get worried about, and we're getting excessively worried about things we don't need to get worried about. And it's thief thoughts, and we could bring ourselves back and make friends with this person who's on the chair with you. Mm -hmm. That'd be you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. Well, um, wow. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today and talking about meditation and mindfulness. It's been an honor to have you. Um, So lovely to, to chat. I mean, we could talk about this for hours. I know. I know. That's what I say to the world. single guest that comes on. We could talk for hours and then sometimes we do. So, <laughs> um, so anyway, I'm going to just cut off here and say thanks everybody for listening and spending your time with me today. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Fringe Fertility. Remember to hit the follow button so you know when the next episode drops. Likes are also appreciated as this will allow others to be able to find the podcast and find more support on their fertility journeys. Thanks to you for your support, and I look forward to sharing more Fringe Fertility episodes with you in the future.